So we're in the home stretch of our summer series, Our Sacred Ordinary Lives. We've been looking uh, this whole summer at how the ordinary moments of our lives are indeed holy and sacred. And today uh, we're, we're going to look at comparison, and the flip side of comparison is joy. Um, I was thinking about changing the topic because I know in Dallas comparison's not a big thing for us. <laughs> you know, I was thinking maybe it was more appropriate if I preached it in Fort Worth, and maybe it would be okay for them. But no, we're gonna we're gonna we need to look at comparison, and so we're gonna uh, turn to First uh, Samuel this morning. And we're going to look at the call of David. So if you want, uh, turn with me to the 16th chapter of the book of 1 Samuel. We're going to read the first seven verses. Listen for the word of the Lord to all of us this day. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul? rejected him from being the king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and set out. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears of it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one whom I name to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him, trembling, and said, Do you come peaceably? He said, Peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked at Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is now before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him for the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance but the Lord looks on the hearts. Friends, this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Hover here. Hover here just as you hovered over the waters of creation, O God. Remind us that you hover in this very sanctuary just as you hovered over the waters of creation. So reach across the ages and breathe new life into these ancient words that they would be your word to us here and now. And breathe new life into the words of my mouth and into the meditations of all of our hearts that all would be acceptable and pleasing to you, O God. For you are our rock. 
and our Redeemer. Amen. So for many of us this week, it was the first week of school. Others of us, uh, school is going to start this coming week. It got me thinking, I used to love the very first week of school when I was a kid. It wasn't so much the school part. It was more uh, that I got to see my friends again after a summer break. It meant that uh, sports practices started. But I got to tell you, my favorite part of the first week of school was finally getting to wear the brand new sneakers that, that my mom bought for me earlier in the summer. I loved uh, taking them out of the box and lacing them up and putting them on. And I loved the first day of school because my friends and I, we would all compare which shoes we had convinced our parents to buy for us. We would tell tales of how we had really had to put the hard sell on our moms, typically, to buy that new pair of Air Force Ones or Jordans, or I'm going to go real, real old school here, or the Reebok pumps. Do you all remember those? <laughs> With the little basketball on the front, you could pump it up and then hit the little release valve. We were always in awe of the kid in our friend circle who had actually convinced their parents to buy them the Air Jordans. I mean, I grew up in South Carolina. We were a modest people. That was a lot of money to spend on a pair of shoes. And so we looked upon that one special kid with holy envy that he actually got to be like Mike. By now, we all know the prophetic Teddy, Teddy Roosevelt quote, comparison is the thief of joy. I say prophetic because Teddy Roosevelt knew nothing of social media. <laughs> Teddy Roosevelt know, knew nothing of Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat, which seems to be the epicenter of comparison these days. I mean, if we're all being really honest this morning, how many of us don't feel just a little bit of holy envy every time we log on to social media? I mean, we see a picture of a family on summer vacation in some exotic location, and we think, well, I guess our trip to the beach wasn't all that fun. <laughs> or we, uh, we see a picture of a friend who's just been, gotten remarried after being a widow for 30 years. And we wonder, why, why has love not found me again? I mean, even if they can find love, what's wrong with me? Or a friend. Okay, we follow one another on social media, but we don't actually speak to one another in public. Anyway, a friend post their acceptance letter that has just come in the mail. And we see where they actually got into school. And we think, well, maybe if I tried a little harder, I could have gotten into that school too, because I know they're not really that smart. Or we see a picture. We see a picture that a friend has posted with another friend of ours. And we think, wait a second, I didn't know those two people were friends. 
and they got together for dinner. I wasn't invited to dinner. Do they get together often? Wait, is that photo in front of the club? When did they get into the club? And is that a new car? I didn't know they got a new car. That car is so much nicer than my car. And we're right back to comparing who got the Air Jordans. You know, uh, data is revealing that comparison for our young people is leading to incredible psychological distress. That's especially true for our young women. According to the New England Journal for Medicine, nearly 70% of teenagers check social media multiple times a day. It's taking an especially hard toll on our young women. You see young women with persistently frequent social media use between the ages of 13 and 15. They had greater odds of decreased life satisfaction, decreased happiness, and increased anxiety later. And pay attention to this one. Cyberbullying, inadequate sleep, and insufficient physical activity accounted for nearly 60% of the association between social media use and psychological distress among young women. So where do they learn that? Where do our young women learn this behavior? Well, they learn it from us because it's not just young people, it's all Americans. Did you know that 87% of older, I mean, 87% of mature Americans <laughs> that we check into Facebook, 87% of us check into Facebook every single day. Did you know that on average in America, we pick up our smartphones, you ready for this? 52 times a day. And I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that if we pick up our cell phones 52 times a day, that we're probably checking in on social media multiple times a day as well. So multiple times a day. Multiple times a day, we are literally comparing our insides to other people's outsides. And it's leading, my dear friends, to very unhealthy beliefs about ourselves, about our families, and about others. And it's easy, isn't it? It's easy to compare our insides to other people's outsides. I mean, it's really, really easy for us to compare our insides to other people's outsides. And between you and me, we know it doesn't stop there, does it? It'd be one thing if this comparison stopped when we logged out of Facebook, but you and I, just between us, we know it doesn't stop there. It happens every time we walk into a room. Every time we walk into a meeting, every time we walk up to a table of our friends, God, if I would have just worked out a little bit harder, I could have fit into that outfit this summer. 
You know, if I just would have taken that other job when I had a chance, I could have driven that car. You know, if I would have just bent the rules of my ethics just this much, if I would have fudged the numbers, rounded a zero here or there, we could have had the vacation house. Man, if I would have studied, I could have gotten in there too. That's how it works. Comparison always leads us down that path. It leads us to a path of thinking that we are not enough. That our current lives are not sufficient. Which is always a lie. It's always a lie. And let me uh, tell you why. In our passage this morning, it's a story that I just read It's the story about God anointing David as the king of Israel. It's the story of God telling Saul that I'm going to anoint a new king, and I know that he doesn't look like much, but you got to trust me. It's a story about a kid, David. He's from Bethlehem. He's from the south side. His family lives in the trailer park. He's one of 10 children. His dad happens to be a day laborer. He's a, he's a shepherd. Seems that even 2,000 years ago, people didn't have high expectation of folk who were from a day laborer family with 10 kids who lived in the trailer park on the south side of town. Not much was expected from that background or that pedigree. And it seems that David knew it. David knew it. Saul knew it. That's why God has to give Saul a pep talk. I mean, David knows his place in the world. He knows what it's like to walk into a room and compare himself and his status and his place and his worth to everybody else. David also knows that there isn't a room or a side of town that he actually feels like he can compete against. Oh, David knew all the things that he wasn't. He didn't have the education. He didn't have the zip code. He didn't have the grooming or the stature. He wasn't wasn't even as good looking as everybody else. And yet, our text tells us this morning that God looks upon David differently than Saul looks upon David. God looks upon David differently than even David looks upon David. Text says, for the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The world, Saul, They see one thing. God sees something completely different. David looks on David and sees one thing. God looks on David and God sees the king of Israel. David's story is one of the many stories in the Bible about how God takes a person who the world, who we consider to be the most unlikely of people, 
and works through them as a vessel for God's grace. It's a story of how God works through a person who cannot see the full measure of who God created them to be. And they come to understand their full worth in God. All right, I need you to do me a favor now. It's just going to take a second. I need you, everyone in this room, to do me a favor. Just for a second, I want you to imagine that you are God, okay? For some of us, that's not going to be any problem at all, okay? (laughs) For others of us, it might take us a second. I want you to imagine that you are God this morning, got it? And I want you to imagine as God that you are looking upon you, right? So I want you, if you were Joan this morning, I want you to imagine that you're God looking at Joan. Or I'm gonna pretend that I'm God looking at Matthew this morning. What do you think God sees? When God looks at Ruth or Linus or Anne, or Mitchell, or Bill? Do you think that God has looked upon you, has ever looked upon you and thought, well, that's just Matthew. He's not very good at this, that, or the other. And I don't know, maybe we can salvage a little bit of worth out of him one day. Do you think God has ever looked at you and thought, There's Matthew, you know, if he would have worked out a little bit harder, maybe he could have gotten into that suit. There's Matthew, you know, if he would have actually applied himself and actually studied, he could have actually gotten into that college. Oh, there's Matthew. Man, if he would have taken that job, he could have had that nicer car. You think God has ever looked at you and your life and ever thought any of that? Not a chance. Those are all the things that we think about ourselves. Those are, those are always the comparison voices that are going on in our head. What does God see? This is what I think. I think God looks at you And God thinks, there's Ruth, there's Linus, there's Ann, there's Bill, there's Mitchell, there's Mark. There they are. They are just what I had in mind when I created them. You are just who God had in mind. When God created you. Yeah, even with all your quirks and all your gifts and all your unique abilities, you are fearfully and wonderfully made, and God created you. Yeah, you. Just the way you are. And if that's true for you this morning, If that good news is true for you, who could that not be true for? You're enough. 
just the way you are. You are loved just the way you are. You belong. All parts of yourself belong just the way you are. For you are just what God had in mind when God created you. Friends, that's the full measure of joy. The full measure of joy is knowing and trusting that you are enough. The full measure of joy is knowing and trusting that you are loved. The full measure of joy is knowing and trusting that you belong to God. Because you are just what God had in mind when God created you. There's just no comparison. There's no comparison at all. Let us pray. God, you knit us together in our mother's wombs. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Send us out to live as though that were true for ourselves, for our lives, and for the whole world. For we pray in Christ's holy name. Amen.